Hello, hello, my dear audience here in the United States and around the world. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Before I start um, this show, I want to remind you, those of you who would like to send me emails after the show and don't have my email address yet, my address is drpeterresnick at gmail.com. D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. If you want to call during this show with your comments and or questions, you can also do this. You can call at 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. Uh, you uh, are welcome to call, but I would like to ask you for a favor. Just today, uh, if you call with questions or comments, please call with questions or comments about this show, that what we are discussing uh, today. Last week, I had a little family emergency, so I could not do the show, and I asked um, people at the studio to play some show uh, from the past, and I asked them to play the show. Uh, one of the first shows of two shows that I did uh, on night dreams. The interesting result was that a lot of people were listening to the show, and after the show, there were uh, quite a number of downloads, which means there are new people who joined, uh, started listening uh, to my shows, and there is interest in night dreams, which is exciting for me because uh, I think I mentioned to you a number of times in the past that uh, among all the tools that I shared with you and I will share with you in the future, probably the most important one is to learn how to work with your own dreams. You have your own advisor, your own therapist, your, your own guide who loves you, cares about you, and available, is available every morning uh, of your life, uh, charge-free. So that's why I ask people to call with their night dreams. Next week, next Tuesday, I will do just that. I, would, I already did it a couple of weeks ago. Anyone can call with some health-related uh, question. There will be an open floor. That's all. The whole show will be just for that. And uh, remember that my specialty is mind-body integrative therapy. So you can call with any question, uh, of course, health-related question. And I will be happy to talk to you uh, and possibly help you out or answer your questions. And anybody who wants to call uh, next week with the, the night dream, again, I will be happy uh, to work with your dream live. And of course, other people will benefit from learning how to work with night dreams. But today, I'm co-hosting. I think I just got a note from from the studio uh, that he is with us. I'm co-hosting this show with Vladimir Engert, who happens to be my nephew. You probably heard from me this already. Uh, but in case if you tuned in today for the first time, Vladimir is an internationally known psychic medium uh, teacher, energy healer, though uh, we already determined that energy healer is not a good term. We'll, I will mention later why it's not a good term. But he was also a creator of what is 
what he called realized medicine. I interviewed Vladimir uh, about his work three times. Um, but on September 28th, I, inter uh, I invited him to do something different than an interview. I invited him to have a dialogue about the Ten Commandments. Yes, the Ten Commandments from the, from the Bible. A lot of people view the Bible as a manual for spiritual guidance. Yet in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verse 26, it's clearly written, if you heed my commandments and obey my statutes and do what is right in my eyes, I will not send upon you the diseases that I send upon the Egyptians, for I am your God, September 28th and one in October. If you missed the talks, um, you can find them on PRN's archives at Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox. So far, we covered the first four commandments and started talking about the fifth one, honoring your father and mother. Uh, so I want to welcome Vladimir here. Hi, Vlad. Hi, how are you? Can you see me? But for some reason, I do not see you. I don't know. But um, that probably it's not super. Oh, right. And you see me? Yes, I do. Good. Okay. Anyway, our listeners do not do not see us. It's kind of our fun. Oh, let me actually start recording it. Sorry. Sorry, my dear audience. I wanted to record the show because I will be posting it on my YouTube channel. So uh, I will just repeat a little bit the introduction uh, here with Angert, who is an international known um, psychic medium and a healer and um, the creator, what he calls a realized medicine. And today he and I will be talking about the Ten Commandments. We already spoke about four commandments in two shows, and now we're talking about the fifth commandment. We, Vlad and I, I think, started speaking about it on October 12th, right, Vlad? So, can, you me? can you see me for the sake of the recording? Yes. Oh, I, yes, sorry. I, I'm on my I'm on the phone because I was having technical difficulties. That's uh, okay. Okay. So, um, so do you want do you want to pick up here? Or do you want to start talking about uh, the uh, fifth commandment, or I, uh, I think you should start because. Very often, people don't know what it is, and and also they don't know the practical meaning of it. So uh, I think you you make it very realistic and practical. Thank you, thank you. Well, <clears throat> uh, fifth commandment is honoring your father and mother, and. My, I don't remember what we spoke about really, even though we touched on the subject uh, last time. It is about being grateful. It starts the simplest explanation. It's about being grateful to those who gave us a physical opportunity to come into this physical world to deal with our own issues, whatever issues our soul needs to work on. Um, and from the, actually, from the beginning of the Bible, we understand that without gratitude to the Creator's 
or to those who help us to come in the physical world, um, will not be able to honor and be grateful to the one who, uh, from whom we came uh, and to the one who gave us spiritual life. So uh, we know about it through, for example, give you a, a simple example. Um, if you remember, there is a scene where Moses encounters God uh, as a burning bush. And God is saying, go and free your people. They're a slave. I heard, I heard their cry. Moses, of course, is a reluctant guy, and he, he tries to, um, to quit on God. And God is a persuasive uh, comrade. Uh, uh, or communicator, he convinces finally um, Moses to do the job. At which point, Moses says, wait, wait, wait a minute, Mr. God, I, I have a responsibility. I cannot go and do, I'm going to do what you say, but I have a job to do. I am with the flock of the sheep that belong to Ithro, my father-in-law. And God gets the point. God doesn't say, come on, I'm God. I, I'm the creator of the universe. Do what I say. No, God says, you got the point. Go and bring the flag back to Ithro and then do what I ask you to do. So from the beginning, we see that having gratitude is one of the most, and we see it through the whole Bible, the most important attributes where there is no gratitude, there is no higher authority, there is there is a there is a disconnect, and there is a there is a breakdown actually of the society. We know, for example, the first murder of, of, in human history happens because of lack, lack of gratitude and disrespect to authority. Cain kills Abel, but we'll talk about it when we talk about the sixth commandment. Basically. Uh, Fifth commandment is about honoring the source. As I said, first, uh, the physical source. And the, it's interesting, um, Dennis Prager, and many of you probably know of him, Prager University, uh, says that when we do not, in a society where do not, they do not honor parents, people become victim of manipulation of the government. And it's so true. We know what happens with every authoritarian society, whether it was the Soviet Union, where they did not honor God, and their, the God was to be the government, Communist Party. Or it was Germany, where they encouraged children to turn in their parents, to turn against their parents, if their parents spoke about their, against the Reich. Or Maoist China, every oppressive society denies God, denies higher authority, and takes actually a place of God. Would you like to continue? But from I could start with um, the idea of being grateful. Just the idea of being grateful for the standard. You know? A lot of us don't like our parents, and we judge them for the standard they set, 
they didn't do enough, they weren't attentive enough, they didn't participate enough, they didn't do enough. We have a ton of judgments about who they are. We didn't, there's a lot of insinuation about, we didn't choose them. Uh, on the contrary, we chose them. If you subscribe to being a soul, then the soul enters the human experience by choice and chooses the family that it comes through. I don't know this because I read it in a book or it's a manual. I, I know it because I've been a medium since I'm a kid. So I understand the workings, the intricate workings of, of how the soul chooses a, a process. And anytime I've spoken to as a practice, as uh, people come for, for mediumship, which I hardly ever do anymore. I understand that we choose every, every nuance, every uh, aspect of our lives, especially the parents that we come into the human reality with, for the sake of our refinement and for the sake of their refinement. I, I'm sorry. One sec, one, for one second, I want to interrupt you a lot. I want to say something to you, ladies and gentlemen. You hear Vlad speaking about it, and he said he did not learn it through books. He's absolutely, it's absolutely true. I'm the one who learned it through books because I cannot learn it through his experience. So when Vlad started speaking about what he's saying, it was mind boggling to me because by that time, maybe 30 years ago, <laughs> I already started Kabbalah. I remember my first Kabbalah teacher was Zev Ben Shemon Halevi from England. And I was learning this incredible concept, Kabbalah teaches, you choose the womb opening through which you come. Vlad did not read it through books. He learned it through his experience. I'm just confirming. Go Thank on. You. Thank you. But, so uh, the concept of choosing uh, which parents to come through insinuates that there's a purpose for why we come through those specific souls that are constantly, daily, moment to moment, are affecting us. And as a, as a result of being our parents, they set a certain standard. So coming into the human experience through Soviet parents, who are both overachievers and, and structured and organized and talented and uh, disciplined people, didn't necessarily give me discipline. I came to the world with a bunch of talents with no discipline. So uh, it's something that I had to earn for myself. But as a result of having my father and mother, uh, moreover, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to continue for a long time for, with my personal story, but it, it, it plays, this is how I came up with these concepts. So then what's happened is they're, they're both so organized and controlling and devoid of parenting skills because they came into a, uh, the human experience into a country with with a with no God and no parental skills, which a religion would with uh, with with uh, endow you with because of softness and considering another person as a soul. They're both severely controlling and dictatorial, which gave me an opportunity to develop a hard shell. It gave me an opportunity to be driven. Both my parents set my standard. And if I continuously belittle them and, and insinuate that they were somehow unavailable or didn't do their job or didn't misled me or didn't inspire me or support me, I learned through, 
creating realized medicine that to find value in everything. It's not a justification. It is involved. It's in, it, it's inter intertwined with gratitude, because if I accept that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, then these two people set a standard for me. I have my drive from both my parents. I have my intellect from from both my parents. I have uh, talent from both my parents. I didn't, I, I, my soul may have come here with it, but they inspired the constant uh, search for where to apply myself, but I came with a bunch. So then and I, I had a, a sounding board and I had people in my life that constantly fueled that possibility. These people set my standard and gave me my um, approach towards reality. If I don't honor them, then that standard has no value and I can never encounter a, a mate or a life partner that has any kind of standard. And so they're intertwined together. If you, you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Of course. So I believe that until I started honoring my, my father and mother, I couldn't meet a, um, a worthy partner because my sense of the standard was contrived. I wanted intellectual person. I wanted a, a beautiful person. I wanted a, this kind of person. Until I realized what, what was the true value of what my parents provided for me. My father was a professional dancer, professional singer, professional fighter, uh, 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 professional sailor, uh, rebuilt God knows how many buildings in Manhattan. My mother reinvented a, a computer system, swept hair in a hair salon and became a top executive in J.P. Morgan Chase. I mean, uh, uh, success stories all around. They set my standard. They were, she's relentless. She doesn't give up on anything. She wanted to play piano, she played piano. She wanted ballroom dance, she ballroom danced. And these people embraced me, enveloped me in in an enormous drive and a relentless pursuit of not success, but get, they instilled in me the ability to never give up. I don't. I don't even know what that means. So, so basically, like now, if if we are to wrap up the the talk on uh, honoring your parents, uh, we are to honor. Basically, <laughs> if your life is worth anything, then you have to be already grateful. Yeah. Because without these people, you would not, without that genetic material mm -hmm. that they provided, you would not be you. You would be somebody else. It wouldn't be you. So you honor them uh, because not only because they gave you this gift, but also they, and I, now I'm kind of uh, expanding on what you already Vlad, said, they gave you an opportunity, if you are willing to open your eyes and see, yeah. to know what you need to deal with, what your challenges are. Just like in, in your everyday life, how do you know what, what your purpose is? How do you know what you need to work on? Very often people come to see me, not only because they have problems. Certain percent of people come to see me because they say, I, I'm in a good place, but I want to grow. How do I know what I'm to grow in? Very, very simple. 
think about the patterns in your life that persist, challenging patterns. That's exactly what to work on. But uh, to, to relate it to our parents and how to honor them, the first patterns that you had to deal with, good and bad, are uh, patterns that you observed and took in to yourself from your parents. Not honoring your parents, I also believe, prevents you from receiving. Because ultimately, they're the human manifestation of the givers. They give you, uh, they can't put you down. I mean, uh, they have no choice but to give to you. It doesn't matter at what level. They still are constantly giving to you. You know, we judge them for not giving us a, a better education or exposing us to the arts or the creativity. Uh, the only thing they owe you is a shel shelter, food, and support until you're of age to go and have a life on your own. And I always say when people come to see me, say, look, you didn't come with a manual, even though Torah is a manual and gives you an understanding of treating someone like a soul and that they're an expression of you. But what about people that grow up in socialist communist countries where there's no God? China, the Soviet Union, Cuba, they have these basic material needs that are godless. So you look at these people and you say, well, they're just people. They don't have the tools. They don't necessarily have parenting tools. And if you stop looking at them as mommy and daddy, they don't really owe you anything. And nobody taught them how to parent. And, and since you, if you accept that nothing happens by a chance, it's not by a chance, for example, that you and I, Vlad, our souls chose to, to be born through in a society where there was no God. It was discouraged. You know, in fact, graduating from university, one of the, you could not graduate, you could not get your diploma. On, regardless of what subject you are becoming a specialist in, number one test was called scientific communism, and the other one is scientific atheism. You had to demonstrate why there is no God, and why the communism is the way, isn't it interesting? But but if you, I don't know if you want to say a few words also about what's going on. Uh, and I started speaking about it about society, the totalitarian regimes that absolutely interested in in not having a religion. America is uh, based on basically Judeo-Christian values, and what I've been seeing in the last for sure <laughs> last year, but several years, yes, that that religion is, um, I cannot say discouraged, um, yeah, probably, probably, uh, the, the religion, not that there is a separation of, of state and church, that's true, but uh, religion, is playing less or less of an, a role. And parents also play less and less of a role in children's life. It's very interesting uh, because and now these days, this year, it's even more, uh, parents don't even have a say in some states whether their children are vaccinated or not, which means a 10, 12 year old child 
can be taken and be vaccinated without needing to tell his parents. So there is a separation. There is an uh, uh, an effort to separate children from parents because they want they want to become your authority. They want to be your god. So they dictate your process. They dictate your outcome based on some statistic, which happened to someone else who was in bad health. That doesn't happen. Somebody else's story doesn't have to become mine. So I don't have to be sick. I never wore a mask. I'm not getting immunized, and neither are my children. Uh, moreover, insinuating that there's no religion is violation of commandment number two. And these kids, that today's uh, young people, are actually in, in many ways blessed. In some way, in some ways it's a blessing. In some ways, it's a curse, because my generation uh, was imposed upon, and your generation was imposed upon. People that grew up in the West with religions that were not sustainable, meaning God is a guy in the sky that's punishing and rewarding you. And if you, God forbid, have sex, you're bad. If you're gay, you're bad. If you're, uh, if you're, uh, you know, if, if you don't uh, confess, you're bad. If you don't uh, lead a, a proper life, everything is bad. And, and if you're not bad, you're guilty, which guilt destroys as well. And so, all these kids are uh, uh, this generation that's below me. They are terrified of orthodoxy, but the truth is, orthodoxy—it's—it's it's concrete commitment and allegiance to a way. So if you're a way, now a, a lot of my uh, a lot of my generations of spiritualists and the uh, generation below me, they're. Um, they have a potpourri of different disciplines. They want to meditate through Buddhism. They want to uh, masturbate through Hinduism. They want to—it's—it's—it's it's, it's everything and nothing. So when you have everything, you don't have an allegiance to a way that provides you with energy. If you look at reality as and God as an energetic a source of energy, then this intertwines with honoring your parents, because if you honor your source, then you honor that source which created you, then you're able to receive. As long as your parents stay bad, you can never learn how to receive, because you keep a distance from them. And the kids of this generation, in some way, they're blessed, because they have, a lot of them have extraordinary souls, they have extraordinary intellect. Everything is at easy access. A push of a button, they could be on the other side of the world and have access to any kind of information. And now they have a clear choice. If they don't choose to stand for something, they fall for anything. Yeah, right? but there is a trap. There is a problem. There is a problem, and that is it's easier to choose. It's... it's uh, it's it's easier to make the wrong choice. Look, think about it. Let's say you open the door and you can either sit on your behind and slide down. Ooh, and you don't really know which way to go. And, and then there is a staircase going up and you don't know where it will take you. Most of the time, people will choose to slide down because it's nice and easy. Maybe deep inside, they may feel mm, there is something very nice up there. But they will deny that it's nice because it's easier. Somebody told me a story. He claims that it's a true story. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, it sounds like almost like a kind of parable. 
But it happened in Jerusalem. You know, on, on Saturday, on Shabbat, it, um, it's, and it's Jerusalem, it's, a, it's a, quite a religious city, but not all people are religious in Jerusalem. And so, oh, uh, and so on Shabbat, on Saturday, there were cars driving, and, and, and they stopped on the red light. And there is a religious guy standing right there and screams, Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat. And some car stopped on the red light and he keeps screaming and the cars are standing there till the light turns and suddenly a door opens from one car and the driver runs out. Apparently he got annoyed and he grabbed this man and screamed at him, you shut up now. And, and the poor guy, the religious guy saying, excuse me, can I ask you a question? And the guy says, yeah, you can ask me a question. It's all in Hebrew. And he says, excuse me, if I would be yelling Tuesday, Tuesday, would you get as angry with me? And the guy released his grip, grip walked away, got into his car and drove away. Because deep inside, you understand what happened? Of course. He knew inside that he's wrong. He, put, he pushed on his uh, boundary button. Yes. So deep inside, very often, we know what is right. But we don't do it because eh, it's so difficult. So, and because it's difficult, then we deny. We say, oh, this is nonsense. This is not true. This is orthodoxy. This is outlived material. We live different way. Because, because it's hard. It's climbing the steps rather than sliding down and you're behind. So, so honoring your parents, so much easier not to take responsibility. Say, ah, this is my parents, you know, it was hard for me because my parents didn't give me, they didn't take the blah, 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 blah. That's it. You are excused. Uh, look, the science, the world of science and psychology and psychotherapy is constantly dictating to us that um, you're screwed up because your parents made you so. And uh, you know, I don't want to say who said this to me, but you know, parents from the former Soviet Union that subscribe to Freudian psychology would say, oh, well, uh, your mom can't hug you because all boys want to have sex with their mother. And so they want to touch their boobs. Yeah. I mean, so... To me, is when I read or understand Torah and honoring your parents and, and all of these boundaries and, and the framework of, of spiritual psychology, it has resolve. It has a solution. It's, it doesn't make anyone bad. In fact, it, it gives you an opportunity to find value in everything instead of constantly returning and regurgitating the same thing over and over again, pouring it from one glass to another, as they say, pouring the same content from one glass to another. Did they, did they know how to treat me? No. I was a high-voltage wire with no grounding. You couldn't tell me anything since I was three. So uh, they, they had to have, uh, as they say uh, in the Soviet Union, metallic nerves that didn't get affected by my behavior. But I didn't come with a manual. And so they did their best. And their best created this. As soon as I found a way, not because I justified their behavior, I stopped judging them. They're just people. 
they're just people and they had the tools that they had. And with the tools that they had, they did a pretty decent job. They set a standard. They gave me drive. They gave me intellect. In fact, I was blessed. I had three parents. I had him as a parent as well. So uh, I had, yeah, I mean, since I'm three. So uh, poetry, understanding of art, understanding of, uh, well, I think at four or five, I knew every capital of every country and names of cars. And so there was definitely contribution. And then I, you have your own choice. Uh, I, I had this incident where a young man called me because he was scared. This is a real incident. He had walked into, he was dating uh, the daughter of a, of a president of an outlaw biker gang. And she wasn't responding to him for three days, so he decided it was okay to walk in the guy's house through the back door when nobody was there. Now, <laughs> if you understand the outlaw world, that was the last thing you want to do. So when he called me, he said, oh, I'm terrified. I'm watching every car outside. I'm laying on the floor. They're going to kill me. I said, what were you thinking? He said, well, I was... Um, my father died 11 years ago, and I, and that's why I feel like this. I said, your father died 11 years ago. He hasn't died every day since then. You have a choice to make a decision. That trauma doesn't have to dictate how you make your decisions. So the traumatic experiences that you encounter with your parents, you needed them to refine yourself. They set a certain standard. Whether it was violent, aggressive, indifferent, whatever it is, it's what you needed to learn to become who you are today. So this kid's father died. That doesn't mean he doesn't have enough sense in the now to decide to, to understand that it's not the thing to do to walk into a guy's house when he's not there. It could cost you your life. But it had nothing to do with the fact that his father died 11 years ago. And, and many people do this. Oh, I'm on drugs because my mommy stuck her finger in my ear. So what? You have, you have a choice today. She, ha she hasn't been doing that every day since then. So then your 11-year-old, you're uh, the 11-year-old in you is still making your decisions. You're constantly making the wrong decision based on some traumatic experience that you're unwilling to accept and find value in because everything is a trauma based on the psychological framework. Nobody did anything to us and nobody owes us anything and nobody's coming to your rescue. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Bud. So let's move to the Sixth Commandment. Uh, although, you know, I have so much to say about the gratitude. It's such an incredible subject. Um, no, <laughs> I'm forcing myself to stop. Okay, let's move to Sixth Commandment. Sixth Commandment is, Thy shall not murder, which was incorrectly, trans incorrectly translated uh, by, uh, to, to Greek language and then eventually to English language uh, as, Thy shall not kill. And of course, those who um, Christian read King James translation, and read it as thy shall not kill, which is totally incorrect. Of course you kill. If you if somebody comes to kill your family, uh, you have to, it's your responsibility to protect your family. And the, but literally the word, uh, the, the sixth commandment um, in Hebrew says, lo tzich tzach, lo tzich tzach. Uh, you go uh, um, 
uh, if you can find the text, those of you who don't have um, the, the, those who are not Jewish and don't have the Hebrew text. Uh, and if you're curious, you can go and read Ten Commandments in Hebrew language in any textbook or go in internet. And you will see the commandments are very clear and uh, you can put it now, we have Google Translate, right? And so you can put the word for Sixth Commandment and it will tell you clearly, uh, uh, no murder, this is it. So, uh, there were, this is self-explanatory, it's very clear, and by the way, no murder is not only part of Ten Commandments. Before the Ten Commandments came about, there were Seventh Commandments. And again, if, ladies and gentlemen, if you are interested, you go on the internet and read, no hide laws, that is, the laws which were given to Noah, after the, the, the flood and God is, establishes with Noah the new covenant, uh, of course, Noah is not Jewish, uh, and Noah is just was this, what was written, uh, a righteous man for his generation. And so he, after he and his sons and his daughters-in-law survived, they were given seven commandments. And one of these seven commandments was, I shall not murder. So this is a commandment for everyone. It's not only Jew, uh, Jews or Hebrews received the Ten Commandments. Again, still, they were, they were uh, told that they will be the light into the nations, which means before anything, they were to follow those commandments. And people would in get inspired, and it's written in the Torah. And people look and say, look, how righteous those people are, and we want to be like them. So the first people to pay the price and the first people to follow uh, are the Hebrew people. And if we are not, then we're not doing the job and we're not worthy of those commandments. So, but I wanted to mention the, uh, like a, about idolatry, one of the seven, seven commandments is prohibition of idolatry, prohibition of... Um, of theft, prohibition of murder. So, I shall not murder is one, literally, you do not take someone's life in a premeditative way, period. But in the times of Talmud, and we're talking about now first century uh, common era, there were written down three more forms uh, of behavior that were tried as murder. One, um, and it, it, a person could be tried as a murderer. I don't know if there would be such the same punishment for as for physical murder, and yet this person would still be called a murderer. And the, number one was um, humiliating a person in public. We have this concept uh, in Hebrew, lushon uh, hara, evil tongue because you murder a person's uh, character. You can take a person's life away. You can take a person's uh, ability to have a family away. Because if, if you say bad things about a person, you humiliate a person publicly, uh, they may never recover. You traumatize them psychologically, or, or you give them a bad name 
and nobody would want to marry them. I remember at the, in the old times, you know, people knew each other, and people married people who who were um, who knew their parents and or uh, their families. So that humiliating a person in public is a form of murder. Uh, another form of murder was um, what we call today plagiarism, not giving credit to the source, because you murder the name. You 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 say I did this, uh, uh, I accomplished this, and so what about the person who really created? And also the same, of course, uh, not giving a person uh, credit for something. It's like you not you don't give credit to God. In fact, just before Hebrews crossed Jordan, uh, God, through uh, first Moses and then Joshua, says over and over, as you cross Jordan, you will grow rich in cattle and gold and silver. Make no mistake. Don't say it's because of my efforts I earned it. I have given it to you. God says, which means it is all we we have we have to make an effort, but it is God who uh, is assisting us to accomplish whatever we accomplish. So that's another form we kill. Uh, we kill, as Nietzsche wrote, we killed God, and and indeed we kill God, and we kill a person who we don't give credit if we learn something from a person. And the third form of murder, which is kind of interesting for psychologists, was, and again, now I'm repeating to you what I heard from Gerald Epstein, who claimed that he read it in Talmud. I did not read it myself. But apparently, and you, as you probably know, Talmud is not a, a code of law. Talmud is a, a 70 books of basically dialogues, just uh, of uh, sages expressing their opinions and telling stories about different life situations. This is it. You don't necessarily find answers in the Talmud. You, um, you find uh, suggestions or uh, examples of different possibilities of resolving an issue. And then, of course, uh, rules, regulations, what we call halacha, were derived from Talmud. And it, it all depended on the historical context within which uh, the rules were created, which means 200 years later, the same text could be interpreted differently, and it was okay for those who actually wrote the Talmud. So I want to tell you something about the, uh, the story from the Talmud, but where a woman brought her husband to Bedin, to court, for committing murder. And they said, make your case. And she said, she's murdering a husband, my husband, and he's murdering the father of, for my children of my children, and this is her husband that she is bringing to court, because his mother died and he was grieving too long. He was grieving too long, uh, over the, a year, because when you spend too much time in the past, 
even though it's a legitimate pain, you had a loss. You have to disconnect yourself from the past, otherwise you are murdering present. So these are the three forms of murder, and now I, I will give Vlad a chance to talk, because I'm sure he has things to say about murder. <laughs> not that you did <laughs> this, but you have things to say. So I believe the most common the most common type of murder is diminishing someone's intuition. And it's practiced constantly amongst parents and children and couples. Couples destroy themselves and their relationships by diminishing intuition. Uh, if a woman, we're all souls, once you accept that we're all souls, we have, we all have an intuition and intuitive sense. Some, a lot of us are very conspiratory because we, we over intellectualize everything and conspire against ourselves and others. But very often I found it to be, uh, consistent with, uh, uh, folks who don't grow up with a godly understanding. When a, a woman in a relationship says, I know you're doing this. And the guy says, no, I'm not. She feels intuitively that something is happening. She doesn't may not know. She may not know exactly what's happening, but the constant diminishing of someone's intuition and never coming clean and and, and uh, confirming what they feel is true, it affects and shrinks their soul and makes them think that they're insane. Well, that's a type of murder. I, I've experienced, I have a, a dear friend who was a martial artist and he was with someone for many years and she suspected him with every woman that was on the mat. He, he taught martial arts and he would always say, no, that's not true. She ended up on medication on antidepressants because it drove her, her sense, her, she was always right. Her intuition was correct. Her intuition was correct. It was true what she was saying, but he would deny it. No matter what she said, he would deny it. So she lived in this uh, relationship constantly being diminished, which eventually made her think that she was insane, that she was conspiratory, that she was negative, that she was depressed. He accused her of, of constantly creating worst case scenario. Also, something that's not discussed uh, so, so to, to end that, to finish with my thought is, is that very often if someone accuses you of something, whether they're conspiratory or not, uh, you can extract the truth out of what they're saying and come clean and, and help them nurture their intuition. I do it with my kids, you know, it nurtures their intuition because they'll say, well, dad, it's this. I said, no, it's not that, but you have a point because it's close to that. So what it does is it inspires them to have an intuition. And, and this kind of murder is, is I guess, uh, um, frequently you find it in interpersonal relationships and friendships and in intimacy and and with parents and children um i also wanted to comment about what happens when someone murders 
uh, you know, the the Bible, uh, the Christian Bible, and the Catholic version, and I think even the Judaic version is um, that God will punish you. But ultimately, the punishment of from taking a life is that we sever the connection to the creative force and the flow. And so what happens, you become God. So if you take a, remember that the soul enters the human experience with a plan, and it's sustained by the force and the constant flow from the creative force through our acknowledgement that it exists. The moment you take upon yourself and shorten someone's process, you then become self-sustained because you're not you're in denial and you're insinuating that there is no godly process that you could just take a life and and it's over so the denial severs the person the murderer it severs their connection and they implode they literally stop receiving once they live out their own personal supply of energy they implode they no longer continue that's 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 incredible but then, then let me ask you something how about uh, the society making a decision to take a life of a person who is evil who is a murderer who is a torturer how will you view that now as a society we made a decision to sever that are we are we playing god or, or we're, we're definitely playing god but there is a you know, you can say, why are soldiers, I wouldn't say American soldiers are justified, but why is a police officer justified? Uh, unless you know, uh, he's not going out there with the intent to murder or kill. But most police officers become police officers so they can carry a weapon. Right? So th there's already a preconceived understanding that th that could be a possibility. If it happens, it's justified by the circumstances, right? It's, you know, the, uh, Florida has a, 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 a carry law, right? I can carry a gun. I can have one in my house. But if someone robs my house and they're running out the door, I can't shoot them. I can go to prison. So there's all kinds of nuance that either is justifiable uh, what you would call uh, euthanasia or, or putting them to sleep or putting them, uh, taking them out of this life. And there, and there's, you know, if a guy's killing little children, should we continue to keep him alive? He's probably tired of himself. And his process, his soul's process, is definitely not to be severed from, from the human experience. But he already severed that by killing little kids. You know, so, so I believe, my, it's my personal belief, that certain crimes like murder and rape sever your connection because you take the role of God. And when you sever your connection because you insinuate that you're self-made by not acknowledging a godly experience, you um, run out of your personal supply of energy because you're not no longer being sustained. It's not as if God turns away from you. It's you're not no longer in the flow. You've now assumed the role of God. Mm -hmm. That's my take on it. Uh, one more little addition to murder. I think when you compare yourself 
to other people. It's a form of murder. What I mean is, uh, and the first, of course, murder happened uh, in human history, according to the Bible, is with Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain's gifts are not taken, and Abel's are taken. And it's written clearly, uh, God says to Cain, uh, why did your fa face fall? Surely, if you correct yourself, you will be forgiven, because his gifts are not taken. And instead of saying there is something, there is an error I made, there is something I need to correct within myself, he compares himself to Abel and he commits murder. What I want to say is it's not, we do it here in these days, mostly we do not commit murder of other people. But when we compare ourselves to others, we murder part of ourselves because we we have our own human experience. We have our own journey. And the only person we can compare ourselves to is ourselves, who was yesterday, and the progress that we're making. But the moment we compare our journey to somebody else's journey, we murder us, because it has nothing to do with our journey. Well, it's, it insinuates, if I'm sorry to interrupt, but it insinuates that God made a mistake with us. And that it somehow expressed itself incorrectly and the person that's beside us is somehow better or different and we should be where they are. So if you don't accept where you are, then whatever's intended for you can't find you. You're constantly insinuating that that which created you somehow made a mistake. You should be somewhere else or you should look different. But when you find value and, and, and to confirm what you're saying is you're killing yourself. You're taking yourself out of alignment because you're insinuating you're not where you're supposed to be. So if you're not supposed to be here, then the flow can't find you. We go back to gratitude. If I'm ungrateful for where I am, then intellectually I'm constantly insinuating that I'm in the wrong place. And so then I'm killing myself by severing myself from the flow. Because I'm not here. I should be somewhere else. It's so interesting because... You, you know, my teacher of blessed memory, Colette, used to say, uh, emotional foundation of all physical illness is guilt. And when we judge ourselves, we feel guilty, we feel bad. When we feel bad about ourselves, we get physically not well. And we all, uh, this feeling of being guilty, the, the, the weight of the judgment, is so heavy then we that we don't have the energy then because we are cut off like you say from the flow we don't have the energy for correcting the very thing that made us judge ourselves in the first place right i think i think morphology should be taught to children in schools then they'll learn to value their features and they will no longer judge themselves or or think that someone made a mistake but now you introduced a whole other subject. But though I have to say, in, in two of my shows, I spoke about human morphology and the body types and so on, but that's a whole other subject. We're coming, our show is coming to an end. And once again, Vlad, all we managed to do is to cover commandment number five and number six. So in a couple of weeks, God willing, we'll meet and talk about the rest of the commandments. What is number seven, by the way? Uh, number seven, I shall not commit adultery.
again, it's a bad translation. You know, people, the, the word is tinaf, lo tinaf, no impurity. That's what, that's all it means. No impurity. So when you read, drink pure juice, it's written unadulterated juice, right? So you don't mix things that don't belong together. You, you, you keep it pure. That's the commandment. Let's let it be the beginning of the next show. Vlad, thank you so much for coming today. It's great talking to you, and probably we'll talk in the evening again. <laughs> be well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for being with me, with us today. Our uh, show came to an end. I very much hope that uh, you can appreciate this dialogue and that you keep uh, tuning in uh, for the future shows, in particular for this dialogue on commandments. And please, please write to me. I'm so happy to receive your comments, your questions. Uh, and next week, as I said, we'll have an open floor. Anybody can call with any issues on health, wellness, consciousness, spirituality, and I will be happy to talk to you. Um, again, thank you very much uh, for being with me today. Peace to all who want to live in peace. <laughs>